0: You're listening to the Husker Cuzcast Sports Show. Now here's Justin Fielder, Derek Stafford, and Tyler Schaefer.
1: Hello and welcome to the Husker Cuzcast Sports Show. Justin here along with the cousins Derek and Tyler. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at HuskerCuzcast for all podcast updates and more. So excited I just dropped my notebook. But uh, we are here. We got great news. We have a head coach after 75 days of a coaching search. We have our guy, Matt Rule. He has been named head coach of Nebraska. Had a to today. today. Uh, it's a great day. Uh, we also have better news. Well, I don't know if it's better news, but more great news. We get to talk about a Husker win. Nebraska beat Iowa after a long drought. But a great game. Glad Mickey Joseph uh, ended his head coaching career at Nebraska on a win. But uh, uh, Tyler, your thoughts on the big news of the day, and that's Matt Rule.
2: Oh, I mean, I think we're going to talk a lot about what we like about the hire and all the things. But, you know, I I would say the headline for me is Nebraska showed themselves to be a true player still in college football. You look what's going on in Auburn right now. You look what's going on in Colorado. Nebraska could have been in those shoes. And we went out, we paid the money, and got the guy. Talk more about that money, Tyler. Yeah. Uh, Eight years, $74 million. Um, Yeah, huge payday for the Huskers. I mean, the the contract um, starts off small, probably as he's still getting paid from Carolina. and builds all the way up to $12 million. Um, averages out to nine point two million a year. That's more than both Frost and Riley got combined. Uh, he puts him eighth nationally right off the bat. Um, huge, huge pay.
1: Yeah, Derek, your thoughts on that rule?
3: Uh, it also puts him second and in the Big Ten, just behind Mel Tucker. They're actually paying him more than Ryan Day at this point. Wow. Um. I, I like to hire guys. I, I think this guy is a great developer of talent. Uh, I, I pay him what you have to. I, I don't. The pay, I don't. I, I don't ever care about that. But uh, I, I think it's a good hire. I, re, I truly do believe it's a good hire.
1: So, uh, Derek, is this the right hire for Nebraska? Uh,
3: I, I believe so. I. And I, we'll probably talk about Fickle here in a little bit too, but I, I know there was a lot of speculation that maybe Fickle would have been a great hire too. And I think he would have been. Talk
1: about that now. Yeah. Compare them.
3: Uh, but th- the thing is, is like uh Fickle has kind of taken over programs that were already doing okay. And he succeeded with them. And Matt rule has been a program builder. I mean, that's, that's what he's being called is the program builder. And he's done it a couple of times now. So, so I, for me, this is the right hire just because right now we need built. We don't – we're not in a good position. We're not in a good state. I think we have enough talent to be successful, but we need to be built. And he's the guy to do that.
1: And to build on that, I mean, that's kind of what Trev Alberts was saying at the presser today. He was asked several times about it, and he kept talking about this is the right coach for the right time in Nebraska's at the stage that they are in right now. You know, in in – in the program. Nebraska has not been very good over the last five, six, seven years, probably longer, right? Uh, it's been, you know, the most brutal football <laughs> watching football. I mean, from a fan perspective, it's been brutal to watch it. So we've been built so uh, torn down so much. He is a guy that could probably come in and build it a lot better. And so when Trev Albert says things like that, the right guy for, you know, the program right now and to where we are as a program, it makes you wonder, it's like if we weren't this uh, torn down, I mean, would he have been the guy? Would he have gone a different direction? But then again, uh, you know, we're not hiring a coach <laughs> at that time. If it was all, uh, you know, fine and dandy, I guess. Uh, Tyler, what about you? Is this the right hire for Nebraska now?
2: I mean, the, there's a lot to like about Matt Rule. I mean, there's no doubt about it. And, and I think what, to me, what, you know, he he is... Of guys that we could talk about that could have came in, what I really like about him is the way that he approaches football from a physicality, from a defense standpoint. Um, I mean, you, you have to go back. You could argue Bo Pelini... Maybe even a Bill Callahan, but I mean, but they weren't emphasizing offensive line. They they weren't necessarily emphasizing trenches the way that Matt Rule is. I mean, this is a guy who wants to win in the trenches, both sides of the football. That's what he's made a reputation on, and it's something that we've been lacking. And this year, I mean, we did a podcast every single week, and if you guys have been listening along, you know the mo Goddard line god our offensive line i mean every single week we just sat here and complained about it and it honestly could be the story of the last seven years i mean thank you for listening but i mean god we could put this on repeat the last seven years if only we had an offensive line if only we have an offensive line i mean matt rule's recipe is not some secret that's just how he wins he builds in the trenches um he gets it done um so I, I don't know. I mean, could there have been other names out there that could have done better or would I have rather had probably? But I do think what, what his recipe for success is is something that's really attractive to Nebraska, something we desperately need um and, and something that's really to be excited about.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, are there other names? Yeah, the, probably. But I mean, Matt Rule, for me, Matt Rule has always been in that top group when I list uh, the names that I want. He's been in that top group. you know Then you get down to like, uh, like on this podcast, we talk about tiers a lot. You know, we, we love to do tiers, whether it's uh, the Big Ten rankings or just whatever. Uh, Matt Rule was always in my top tier. So uh, so I, I'm really happy with uh, with the hire. You know, we're talking about Luke Fickle. Luke Fickle, he was in that same tier for me as Matt Rule. And he might have been a little bit higher on there, but they were marginal. Uh, I really like getting Matt Rule here just because uh, it's probably more sold on it the way that uh, Trev Alberts uh, kept talking about where we are right now as a program that he would be a better fit. So that that is kind of a big sell to me uh, for a guy that I already liked. Uh, but let's talk more about the press conference here. Uh, well, hold on. Before, go ahead. before
3: you move on, sorry. So you're talking about the tears and – I'm in the opposite boat as you. Like, when when I, when I first seen Matt Rule, as soon as we hired or fired Scott Frost, there was some talk of Matt, of, uh, Matt Rule before he even got fired that there was a good possibility he was going to get fired it was Nebraska could go after him. And I'll tell you, I took the same attitude I think a lot of Nebraska fans did and the fact that, like, I don't want to go after this fired NFL coach. He wasn't a good NFL coach. Why do I want him here? So I, he was on a lower tier to me until... Until I started reading up on what he's really done. And and you look at what he's done. And you look at the – he's coached defensive line. He's coached linebackers. He's coached tight ends. He's coached quarterbacks. He's been offensive coordinator. He's been a special teams coordinator. I mean, the guy's just done everything there is to do in football. And then he took over a head coaching job, and he struggled his first year, got back to bowl eligibility, and then took Temple to two 10-win seasons in a row. And it was two of the three that Temple's ever had. Then the last one was like 1976. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's, pr- it's pretty impressive. And a he conference title there. Yeah, and a conference title. It's imp- so impressive what he did at Temple. Uh, Baylor, I, I'll say this. I think there would have been a little more if he had been there a little longer. But it's still impressive to have taken over the garbage situation that he had to take over. And it wasn't the worst situation that's ever happened in college football. I get it, but it was still a bad situation. Uh, So to take over that bad situation and and turn it into an 11 and one or 11 and three season was, was again, impressive. Uh, I'd like to have seen him stay at Baylor and seen a little more sustained success. Uh, But you know, whatever. I mean, he was a good enough coach that NFL teams were coming after him and there's A lot to be said for that.
1: Well, I think that's key in all of this, right? Uh, He's on the – up. he has an upward trajectory in his coaching career, you know, from going from uh, Temple – and, like, you're right. You know, he's done a little bit of everything. He's coached everything over his long career of coaching. But since he's been head coach, going from Temple to Baylor, and, you know, he had short stops because – he was recognized by that next level as a great coach. He was identified by uh, people that hire head coaches to be a good one, right? So he goes from Temple to Baylor, and then all of a sudden he does wonders at Baylor, and he's identified by the NFL. And he goes and he tries. It doesn't work out. It doesn't mean he's a failure as a coach. You know, I mean, it's... No, and,
3: I, and people have to remember how many how many college coaches have gone to the nfl and failed
1: yeah like it's not it's it's a different type of game it's different it it is
3: i mean pete carroll's about the only success story you can really truly find that's been successful in both college and in pros yeah there's there's not very many that have been successful on both sides
2: yeah i mean jimmy johnson's in that category i mean so derek and justin you guys you guys hit on something that that is a i guess a concern of mine and I, I have said this to a lot of people I've worked with and a lot of people I've talked to. There is something that I just have always been worried about in business. And I know business is different than football, but it are these people that come into a situation, their first step is to take two steps backwards, then they take three steps forward, and then they get out. Because what that tells me is that they, they are not planned guys. They, they, they don't have plans. They, they get by, they hit this ride of success, and then they're out. And because you never see their counterpunch, you you don't you don't see what happens after that that year of going eleven and three when, hey, you lost your starting quarterback and now things aren't going your well and now you have to actually build it back up. Like it's easy to do the one time build up. This it's easy to do that one time build. Yeah, up? I I've seen so many people do that because you can get by on emotion that you can ride emotion in those situations to help with stuff. You can ride a wave of. Man, this got really bad. Now we need everyone to bucker down and really move this forward. Um, Derek, you talked about the Baylor situation. It, and, and, and again, you're right. It was a bad situation. But there's a lot of people that transferred for Baylor after the sex scandal. A lot of those people transferred a year prior to Matt Rule taking over. That year, including their starting quarterback, Jarrett Stidham, like he left a he year prior and Baylor still made a bowl game. And, and again, it was a bad situation, but they just plummeted that first year. And all of a sudden, he, he, he built them up very quickly, r- rise to fame, and then left. And, I, and who knows what 2020, we know what 2020 became for Dave Aranda. It was another two-win season, but who knows what that would look like with Matt Rule. Um, I mean, I, I don't think Dave Aranda is such a bad coach that he all of a sudden, he just tore that program apart. So again, it's just like, it, where was it? How did it go? I, I, will, I will say, I will say this.
3: I think it's funny that you think that Dave Aranda took over and went two and ten, and that's okay. But Matt Rule took over a much worse situation than what Dave Aranda took over, and went one and eleven. You think, seem to think that's so much worse than what Dave Aranda did. I,
2: no, I mean it's it's not a great thing. I mean, I mean Dave Aranda eventually won a conference championship. Dave Aranda also has a couple other check boxes that I that Matt Rule doesn't have including Big 10 experience which is something while Matt Rule got mentioned that he's a Big 10 guy because he played at Penn State in the 90s he really isn't a Big 10 guy he's never coached there at any meaningful level and don't bring up his 1996 volunteer assistant for the day it counts it does not count it counts. i think i got named as an assistant coach volunteer at nebraska at one point i don't have big 10 experience
3: he has as much big 10 experience as donovan rayola had offensive line experience yeah. i mean come on the, 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 is that your barometer of, of success like well <laughs> we're talking experience here i mean yeah experience is experience
2: yeah you're that's fair exactly well, I, I mean was,
1: but mean, i think when you're looking at the total package of matt rule is he's been in different circumstances he's been in the AAC. He's been in the Big Twelve. He's tried the NFL. He's had to try new things, and he figures out, you know, for the most part, and at least in college, he figures out what works and how to get it done. Yeah,
2: and th- that's true. He he is adaptable, right? I, I will grant you that. He, he is he is shown that he can work his system and in, into different circumstances. But yeah,
1: and he probably knows now after doing this so many times that he probably has a better understanding on what works and what doesn't work to get I
2: just, this there. Yeah. And his style is very much Big Ten. Like, I mean, you couldn't look at his teams and, don't, and be convinced they're not a Big Ten team. I mean, they look like a Big Ten team. They feel yeah. like it. Yeah. But Mickey Joseph has alluded to it. There, there are nuances in this conference that, and we've seen coaches struggle with it. I mean, it, it, that'll, that'll be a test for him is how does he... Is he is he more prepared than previous coaches to deal with the Big Ten? Bo Pelini struggled with it. Mike Riley, Scott Frost—they have all struggled going to the Big Twelve.
1: I fully believe that Trev Albert exactly. fully vetted uh, Matt Rule for all of these, and I completely trust in what uh, what his judgment is on this hire. I mean, I, th- I think it's a very solid hire. Is it a home run hire? No, but I mean, there's like really only one home run higher that's on the list, and that was Urban Meyer. That's a pipe dream, right? So, I mean, what other guys are you going to come in here that grades significantly higher than Matt Rule? There's not. There's
2: and, and to to the point of him being a program turnaround, like you look at a Luke Fickle, um, you know, obviously he, he's a name that's getting a lot of parallels. Luke Fickle's never taken over a program near as bad as Matt Rule has. So, I mean, Matt Rule has definitely walked into way worse situations, a lot more comparable. So, yeah. And, I mean, Matt, they're,
1: they're... and Luke Fickle's never coached outside of the state of Ohio. Ever. Yeah. Between Ohio State, Akron, and Cincinnati, he's never left Ohio to coach, which is pretty remarkable if you think about it. Yeah. Uh, Anyway, uh, anything else to add to? The- oh, I just I, I do want to address the thing uh, about you know your uh, comment about guys that uh, fix something for one year then just leave. Well, I think his contract is set up to uh, where he doesn't have that incentive, or there's no incentive for him to leave because the way that his the salary comes out. He gets like an extra million dollars for every year that he's here, which maxes out at 12.5 million dollars in 2030. So he turns this around in three or four years. I mean, that incentive to stay is huge. He goes from 5.5 million to 6.5, 7.5, 8.5, 10 million, 11.5, 12, and 12.5 million. I mean, every year that he's here, there's if it works out, there's incentive for him to come back because it's buku dollars. So I don't have. Well, to, so I don't think you have he, to worry said, about Matt Rule, you know, fixing something for three or four years and just leaving because the money's going to be here.
3: Well, and he said in his press conference he doesn't want to be that guy that just jumps around. Yep. which I mean. It's a little hard to take serious when he has jumped around his whole career so far. That's what but.
1: all co- all coaches do that, especially ones with uh, upward trajectories. I mean, you either move for two reasons: upward trajectory, or you get fired a lot, right?
3: No, I I get it. It's just I. Was, so is Nebraska really the end all be all job? Like,
1: I hope so. Is is, is, is
3: there not an upward so. trajectory from here? Like, I I don't know look his his press conference he said all the right things. He did everything you expect him to say. Uh, you know he gave, I, I hate to say it but he said a lot of the same things Scott Frost said. He wanted to play tough in the trenches and he wanted to be fit or physical in the trenches and
1: he wanted you know, the big ten to adapt to him. Yeah. I mean of course. Well I mean I, it's just,
3: whatever. It is what it is. He said the right things. Like, it's fine. The administration, just, the the
2: AD, and all that's in those yes, perfect I, I, alignment. I mean, that's that's yes, a direct quote from I, Scott Frost. But you know what he said differently and he, and he than Scott Frost? he essentially alluded to the same
3: exact thing, yes.
2: You know what he said differently than Scott Frost? He was very complimentary towards Scott Frost. Scott Frost was not exactly complimentary of Mike Riley. I don't think He's Scott fair. Frost called Mike Riley the day before taking the job to talk to him about the situation
1: yeah about what coaches to maintain to keep what
2: coaches what roster what do you want to know about it i don't think that frost lobbyed that call which i actually really respect i actually really really like that matt rule did that and it again we'll see if it holds up over time but it would be very easy i mean we just saw it. we'd be very easy to be like god this is a shit show this is a disaster, and. Matt Rule, at least really early on, does not appear to be taking those cheap shots that Frost did to Riley. And um, a lot of people did. I mean, I don't think to expect to hear things about front squats like. Yeah.
1: And I mean, there's a lot of things that's wrong with this team. But I mean, I, I don't think that he's ever going to point to what, you know, and I do this in quotes. Like what Scott Frost you say, "What I inherited," you know. Yeah. I don't think you're ever going to hear that out of his mouth. Uh, what he inherited, because I think he's just going to he's just going to roll with it. Uh, I, I really liked I really liked what uh, he in the press conference. You know, some of the things that uh, that he said that really made me that really stood out to me is uh, he talked about. He, uh, when he was asked about what kind of team to expect. And he's talking about an old school team, a physical team, winning the line of scrimmage, run the ball. I mean, those are things that just Nebraska people just love to hear. They absolutely love to hear it. And we haven't seen a lot of that. Uh, I mean, it's it's been a while since we've actually seen it. You know, the coaches may say, it, and you know what? Maybe it doesn't happen, but at least you know where the focus is. Uh, Scott Frost, you know, there's like that, what did we? What were we saying for like at least three of the four years under Frost? It's like no offensive identity. Uh, I think Matt Rule knows what he wants to do in the Big Ten and how to win. And you know, big strong defenses control the line of scrimmage, run the ball. I mean, that's the stuff, and that's a recipe. I, I, that's how you do and, it. And,
3: and, and again, I need to see it on the field because, like, again, he said the right things. He said the things that he knew was going to get fans excited.
2: Uh, but, but, Derek, the difference with Matt Rule, than Frost and Riley and all these other coaches that have said it, is that has been the Matt Rule blueprint. This isn't Mark Whip. Has it? Because
3: the, the offensive coordinator he just hired does not appear to run the ball very well, and he was an offensive coordinator for Matt at Temple.
2: Well, I, I guess I I didn't watch Temple, but at Baylor, yeah, that was oh, just very look much at his stats. St- just statistically. Statistically
3: speaking, they didn't run the ball very well, and he doesn't didn't run the ball very well at South Carolina either.
2: But but at Baylor, Matt Rule ran the football. I mean that that was an identity shift when you went from Art Briles to Matt Rule. There was a definite culture and style of play change. I remember that time frame. Like your use of the Matt Rule RG uh, Art Briles RG three spread run it out and all this high scoring offense, and Matt Rule was not that guy. I mean, no, that's, he slowed, that's it that's down, fair. slowed it down. Slowed it down a lot. Yeah, that's fair. And, and
3: I don't expect to speed. I expect. I do not expect to see a high speed offense either. Like I, I this Satterfield uh, Marcus Satterfield that he hired, uh, he doesn't run a high tempo offense. Well, but as, but as, statistically, his as offenses have not uh, done well. So we're
1: going to have this conversation about Satterfield twice? I mean, are we just... <laughs> are,
2: are, is, are we done with Matt Rule? Or are we just in the I mean, staff? I, I don't now? know. I don't think we are. <laughs> I got we, nothing else on Matt Rule. I'm ready to get in the staff.
1: Well, okay. So I, I want to say something else about the press conference. and. I know this doesn't mean anything that he's a great coach or that even translates that he is a good coach, but it tells me that he's a good person. I I thought it was really refreshing to see uh, Matt Rule and his family and uh, they're like posed for the photographs and just, you know, he was, they were involved in all the festivities and he kept them involved and did all the photos. To me, that was, that was really refreshing. You didn't see that with, God, I mean, have you seen pictures of, anybody else's family at Nebraska. I mean, going back, I, I, I don't know what anybody's family looks like.
2: I, I I'll say this. I, I, I have nothing against him doing that, but I completely respect coaches that have the stance of, yeah, I want to keep my family out of the public light. I also completely, that, that is also a very acceptable response. So I guess I don't read that as a positive. I mean, I remember with Bo Pelini when his kid, his kids were entering college, or maybe it was Callahan. One of their kids were entering college. Like they didn't want that. Who they were, they didn't want everyone to know them on campus and say, "That's my son," and get the shit talked. I mean, I just, I, I nothing against Matt Rule for doing it. I, I, and I did think it was nice that he talked about as just a man talking about the relationship and. How his wife was it like in that? I think that was a really good moment as like a human. I I don't care if I ever see his family again. Jeez, if he's, what a dick! It, it, I mean, if he if he went and said, "Hey, I don't want my wife in the public spotlight. I don't want my kids." I mean, I don't even know if, if they're teenage daughters. I don't know if I want them there. If he wants to do it, that's great. If they want to be the first family in Nebraska, that's fantastic. Nothing against it. I Just I I don't know. I I didn't get the all warm and chills. I was just like that. It I, like I thought it, it was of a nice
1: sentiment. I, I I really liked it. I thought it was refreshing to see, you know, that he's his family seems to embrace Lincoln the way that they are. And I I know that every, you know, I tell you what, the big red, you know, people have jobs, right? But people showed up on on this uh, presser today. There's a lot of people that showed up. So that I thought that was just really cool. They 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 rolled out the red carpet for him, and you know. I liked it. Uh, we kind of touched on this, but I don't know if we we kind of got a little bit off track here. But uh, reasons of optimism and reasons of concern. Uh,
2: Wasn't Derek, that what we were just doing, Justin? For the last, you
1: guys minutes? not have any more. <laughs> you didn't drop your notebook like <laughs> I did. I, 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 uh, I, 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 Derek, do you have any additional reasons of optimism? Because I know you love to dig into stats and stuff.
3: Well, the biggest reason of optimism for me is he runs a very physical defense. He runs a very aggressive defense. Uh, and this has been proven time and time again. Uh, his defenses at Temple ranked very high in sacks, tackles for loss, turnover, takeaways. Uh, Baylor had one of the best defenses Baylor's ever had. Uh so so I'm excited for that. Like I I I'm excited. I want to see some smash mouth football again. And I don't think that's something we've seen since Polini's been here. Yeah. And, and Polini's defense has faltered whatever. We can make that argument, but we haven't seen over 30 sacks since Polini's been here. Right. And that's it's that's fairly standard for for what Matt Rule's defenses tend to look like. Uh so I, I'm very excited to see an aggressive defense again. I'm tired of the bend-don't-break bullshit. Yeah. Uh, it ha- has not worked out. You know, it's the same thing that...
1: He has attacking Rock- defenses. I mean, Yes.
3: I mean, and R- Riley and Frost both run uh, much more bend-don't-break type defenses. And I, it, it doesn't work. It hasn't worked for the last seven years. And it's not going to work in the Big Ten. So I want to see this aggressive defense. And I... That, that's that's probably my number one reason for optimism right now.
1: Do you have any others while Tyler's thinking about it?
3: <laughs> he's still kind of frowning, so I don't know if he's got any. Tyler, uh, come uh, on.
1: Uh, Make something up. Give us a reason uh, for uh, optimism.
3: Again, you look at his program building. Like I know, I know Tyler hates that term, but, like, dude, he's never got worse. Maybe and, maybe and maybe it's because he hasn't stuck around long enough to get worse, but...
2: Well, when you start 1-11, the, t- one, one t- t- there's not much... I mean, and you're there for three years. There's not much room to get worse. Well, so, Tyler, I,
1: mean, I think the difference is... I mean, you actually... When you see Matt Rule take over teams, is, there's something it, measurable to- for his accomplishments. It's not like we're trying to grasp at straws under Scott Frost to say this three and nine team is better than the last yeah, year.
3: I'm not, I'm not disagreeing. I mean, but here, here, here's the difference to me, Tyler. Like, okay. Twice. Okay, I get it. He had two really bad seasons and his first year at temple and his first year at Baylor. And his second year, he took them both to bowl eligibility. Temple did not go to a bowl, even though they were six and six. Uh, I, I don't know what reasoning that was, but maybe they didn't get selected. Whatever the case may be. Uh, and then Baylor he went to a bowl game his his second year and by third year he's won double digits at both schools yeah. and then and he continued to win double digits in his fourth year at at, at Temple yeah. like it wasn't just a one time thing like he did it twice
1: that is so, real so, progression so no, so, I mean, so, I, so
3: it, pr- it proves that he can
2: sustain it i again Temple what, before Matt Rule took that job Temple had won eight games three of the four seasons prior to that there should. There was no reason that they should have dropped to a two win team. They were in the MAC, then went to the Big. A's they were four and A's.
3: And, se- and they were four and seventeen when he took over.
0: Okay,
2: Th- this is like the argument of like Scott Frost when he took over UCF that they were an O and twelve team. Like they weren't really an O and twelve team. Like they were though. Like
3: <laughs> you'll never convince me otherwise. They were a shit team when he took over. It's fine. And it
2: didn't work out here. I just, I, I, but Matt Rule is not Scott Frost. I'm not like, saying I just. I, quit. I, so then, quit comparing them. Is it natural? Is it? It. You know what, Derek? I'm going to tell you this much: this is going to be the last time we compare our former head coach. I mean, everything is going to be, and it, and and the good news for Matt Rule: the bar is really low. Yeah. The bar is very low for You're him right. to, to outperform his last season. coach. And, and you can thank Scott Frost for that. Th- there you go. He, that's one good thing he did. He had a really low bar. I, I I will say something optimistic. Again, I already kind of talked about his style of play, something. Um, I, but I do think that there's something really smart about how he's built teams in the past, especially at Baylor. So something that may, some people may not know. But when he took over that Baylor job, he hired three high school coaches to join his staff at Baylor. Now, there's a lot of reasons he may have done that, but a lot of people think he did that to help re-get the support of the Texas high school system to the program at Baylor because there was a lack of confidence there. Um, And he went out there and brought in three really good assistants that have all had really good success. Uh, His ability to eye those types of coaches is something that's really remarkable. I mean... I I just put it in Nebraska. If Nebraska went out and hired three high school coaches tomorrow, what would that, what would our reaction be? Like that would be the most insane concept ever. If we do something like that. And and he did it and it worked. It worked really well. And so coach Tesmer. What? Yeah. I mean, that'd be great to see him get his shot at the big stage. But, and then the other thing is, is like Matt rule. The other thing that gives me autism is that he did it at the big 12. Um, you know the only guy who had near that kind of experience was Mike Riley, and Mike Riley never had an eleven and three season. I don't think like we we never. I, I don't know what Mike Riley's best year was, but I don't really want to remember that. Derek already yelled at me for bringing up one former coach, so I won't go. <laughs> I won't talk about it again. But but again, even though I, I may poo poo a little bit of the Baylor thing, I mean the bottom line is he went to a Power Five conference. He took them to be a top ten team. Again, Scott Frost didn't do that. Bo Pelini certainly didn't do that. Bill Cowley. I mean, we have Frank Sola. Tom Osborne didn't do that before he got that job. I mean, Mike Matt Rule has done it on the big college football stage and has had success. So he's,
3: like, he's a great developer of talent. Yeah. I mean, I, Justin, you sent out a tweet the other day, or a, not a tweet, but a text message the other day showing all of the... Uh, NFL drafts from Temple and they went like four years without getting anybody drafted and all of a sudden, his next two years, there's like three or four three or four guys in there. He Tyler's had, already rolling his he
2: eyes. I hate that because he was a
3: coach at Temple that whole time. He was he was a coach at Temple. Yes, that- he was. 16 and 17 draft years, he was the ten-
2: the coach for both those years. I understand that, but he was a coach before that. He was at Temple from 2005 to 2015. He was there the whole time.
1: Maybe it was his way for the whole team that got those guys because so they did not have a draft pick since their 2011 season. So the 2012 draft, so Tyler, for the math for you, the 2012 draft was for the 2011 season.
2: I I, I, I understand that. My my point is, he was the offensive coordinator there. He was the offensive coordinator there. So does he? So I I guess you can't have it both ways. You can't say that, well, he wasn't a good developer until he became head head coach. Well, then here, then here you go. He also had a lot of
3: good developers at Baylor that turned some three star guys into all Americans. He did,
2: he did. But Justin also in that message, so either
3: either, way, either which way you look at it, the guy has proven that he can develop talent.
2: I, I never said that. You, but talk, ju-
3: you talked you talked about some of his coaching and, so, and some of his uh, coaches he's brought in. You know, I mean, God dang, you brought in a high school coach and turned him into a head coach in a matter of what five years.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The guy the like step. it's impressive. Yeah.
3: So he's not only not only is he good at developing uh his players, he's good at developing his coaches too. And, and figuring out where
1: those guys are. He knows how to push the buttons to get people to perform to the max level, whether it's players or coaches. Tyler, so you're kind of tipping your hand that you don't think this is really a good hire. You no, I, of, I think it's a... you're poo-pooing a lot of this stuff about I just... that rule. It's just. So it's who silly. are the who are the guys that you would want over Matt Rule?
2: I, I mean, I, I don't, I don't want to go down that list. I mean, I, I, I mean, I, I, I don't. There's a, probably a lot of names, a lot of names that are very comparable. I just, I find it funny. Like, it just seems weird to me. Like when Derek brought that message, you bring up the 2022 draft. Like he had been gone for two years prior. Like, I mean, does he get in, like a seal of history forever at Baylor? Like everyone that gets drafted. Well, Matt rules, I didn't there. bring up any of your drafts. In
3: the yeah. paper, oh, the right? hell,
2: he brought up 2022. Who? Who's he? You did not me, oh, not me. I, All I pull, set out was
1: 2016 2017 draft picks.
3: That's the only ones I remember seeing.
1: You might be th- thinking of talking about that. Uh, the tweet from Michael Severe, you might be M- talking M- about that, but that's M- not me.
2: I, I, I just I, I know we look
1: alike, but I am not Michael Severe.
2: I just, but like, that's, I guess some of the stuff is like when people want to say, well, Temple never had anyone drafted. He was there for a lot of that time. Baylor had people drafted in 2022. He had been gone for a couple of years. It, it doesn't change the fact that when he was there, he did great things of getting that. What he did in that 2019 season is remarkable. There, there's nothing about it that you can take away from him. Him winning 10 uh, games, two years in a row at Temple. Is remarkable. That is a sign of a very good coach. I, I, I just I feel like people have mi- like mythicized him a little bit. And like that there's like mythology going around that like Temple was a trash school before he got there. Well, one, he was there the whole time, and two, they had won eight games three out of the four years. So I don't know why you're saying it's trash when he was there, and they weren't. Like he should be proud that he had Temple as a good team. That's why he was offered the head coaching job. Like, I just I, I don't so, so
3: so does he not get any credit for having him as a decent team? Yes. He, as an assistant coach? He does. He a hundred percent does. He is a good coach. But the the argument people but make But you
2: seem to be poo pooing on. You seem to be like, well that he didn't do shit.
0: Because are, the are you argument me? is He didn't that
3: do he shit took... when he was
2: an assistant coach. Because it bothers me that the, the way that people frame that the conversation is he took over a garbage program. And that's not fair to what he had helped build there because they weren't a garbage program, like that. That's the that's the argument that annoys me about Matt Rule. And then the other thing of Matt Rule is, it, and to put my well, cards and, on and the
3: table, be, and to be fair, to be fair, Temple has only maxed out at eight wins since he's left.
2: Yeah, it, I, he was the best coach in Temple recent, maybe ever history. I will give and him. Now, and, and now I believe they just fired their coach because he was doing yep, so bad. I, I will grant him. He's the best coach in Temple history. But I will put my cards on the table. The other thing on that rule, the reason why I may not be as high on him as you guys, is because I lived in Charlotte and I have a lot of friends at Roof of the Panthers. And I know it's a different game and I can know that with my brain. But if you're a Chiefs fan and Nebraska hired Romeo Crennel to be our head coach, you'd probably be like, well, shit, he was a disaster. Like, my heart does pay attention. that Like, I know it's different. Okay, that's fine, but did did whoever you just mentioned, did he coach college football before that? I'll tell you this much. The, the, Never the, heard of the it th- in college. The three Jacksonville fans out there probably wouldn't be psyched if Urban Meyer took over. The Dolphins fans probably wouldn't be, have been psyched if Nick Saban took over their team. Like, I, and again, those guys' college resumes are a little bit different than Matt Rule. It's not, I mean... I, I guess, I mean, what's the uh, what
1: point are you trying to make here? I'm sorry, you lost. That me. he
2: was that that he was a disaster for a team that I follow very closely. And that if your NFL team that you like just had their worst coach maybe in history fired, you probably wouldn't be sitting there wishing he'd end up at your college alma mater. Like that wouldn't be like where you'd be sitting there saying, Okay. Right, I mean, like, I mean, I don't know what your NFL team is, Justin, but
1: whatever my fantasy football <laughs> team has.
2: But for
3: you to bring up the Kansas City coach,
2: like, I, I,
1: I
3: don't, I, I just don't brought know up the I just
2: brought it because he's a Chiefs fan.
3: I mean, pick any. That's that's fine. I just I just don't know enough about him. Like, w- it was he a successful college coach before he was a no? Head, he was just he a former NFL coach? guy. I, mean, I just he brought he was okay. he was a disaster. Then no, because to me that would be another
2: Callahan hire.
3: And, and Matt Rule to me is not a Callen hire because he's proven success in college before he went to my, the
2: pro. My argument is he was a bad NFL coach for a team I like. So it's hard to just turn my hat off and say, well, I'm going to forget that time frame and just say that never happened. I I I, was, it, I paid a little but bit. But again, mo- multiple, multiple college coaches have done this. I, I understand that. And I, I, I expect Rule to turn it around to – I just that, that's just a reason why I'm probably not doing quite the backflips you guys are. But speaking of backflips, Justin, let's talk about this. I mean, the staff that he's bringing in. I mean, that's got you doing backflips, right? I mean, you you calling me out for being a hater, so let's just go right there, huh? You're you're thrilled. I just I just got a met, i just got a ping about one of his new <laughs> assistants. So so
1: there's been some hires from. Uh matt rule i mean there's a couple that we know there's been several hires we don't know what the capacity is at this time but there, there's some that we do know right uh Tanner, who are the guys that we know actually have positions in on-field positions or strength and conditioning
0: yeah evan
2: cooper um has been confirmed as a new defensive back coach uh, Evan Cooper comes from uh, – he he was at, with him at Baylor as a uh, defensive backs coach and recruiting coordinator. And most recently, he was with him in Carolina. Another name that we have uh, confirmed is Corey Campbell. Um, he is uh, was the assistant strength coach at Carolina. He is coming to Nebraska as the new strength and conditioning coach. If you haven't seen this guy, this guy is like – Yoked. He's jack- yeah, he's yoked. Uh, another I, – I don't know if we could say confirmed – um, but I'm going to go with it, is Marcus Satterfield, offensive coordinator at South Carolina. Yeah. Um, and then and then there's two other names that we have uh, that we don't know if they're analysts or position coaches yet, but um, he is bringing with him Terrence Knighton and Ed Foley. The Ed Foley? Ed Fo- Ed the Ed Foley. Foley
1: is coming to Nebraska?
2: <laughs> so so I, th- I think you're thinking of Al Bundy. <laughs> oh. He was a hell of a high school player, Al he was. He he was. Had four touchdowns he was. in
1: the championship, in the state championship
2: game. So, I so, you know so, that. so, so that that's, I mean, so a lot of guys he's coached with for years. Um, um, yeah. So I guess that that those are the kind of the hires that we know so far. I know Derek was starting to talk about Marcus Satterfield. So Derek, yeah. if you want to talk and tell us Let's more about, talk Marcus. about Marcus
1: Satterfield, because this is an OC. I mean, I think everybody, you know that follows college football, knows anything about college football, you know, your coordinators are big hires, right? And so Marcus Satterfield being named OC, Derek, what can you tell us about him?
3: Uh, I'm not, I'm not impressed. <laughs> uh, I'll start with that. Uh, look, here, here's the thing. Like, I, I guess this is the part that bothers me. The most part of it is, so Matt rule, let him be an offensive coordinator at temple, but when he went to Baylor, he didn't keep him as offensive coordinator. Uh a matter of fact, he did end up going to Baylor a couple years later as just an analyst. Uh, his, his, statistically, his offenses have not proven to be well. Uh, he, he had some really good games against Tennessee and uh, Clemson uh, th- this last few weeks. So it gives you some reason for, for some optimism. I mean, he scored six three points against Tennessee. And I know Tennessee doesn't have a good defense. Everybody's going to point to that, and that's fine. But there weren't any teams scoring sixty-three points against Tennessee. No, not at all. And they and they managed to do that, and that's impressive. Uh, they beat Clemson thirty-one to thirty. So you scored thirty points over thirty points on a, on a, on a, a Clemson team that's only given up twenty points a game. Again, pretty impressive. Uh, but for the years statistically, they. Don't run the ball well. They pass it average at best. Uh, they don't score a ton in its in its years at as a, as an offensive coordinator. Statist- statistically, it's not a home run hire. Yeah, you're right. Uh, and and I can go into the stats, but I don't want to bore everybody with just numbers. So I, I won't get into that, but
1: but there's also a reason why he wasn't named OC at Banner also because he had already na- he had already had two guys as co OCs with uh, Jeff Nixon and Glenn Thomas. So yeah,
2: he he joined the staff later. He yeah. wasn't there. He was because he was busy being he a didn't. head coach. So yeah. So I mean, so again, I know we're gonna do a bigger staff breakdown, so we can get into a couple of these guys later, and and again, hopefully, we'll learn where, like. Terrence Knighton, if he, if he's actually going to be a full time coach or analyst, or if Ed Foley's going to be our new special teams coordinator, um, possible that he's had that role for him in the past. So um, it'll be interesting to see how all of that shakes out. But the reason why this got brought up is I mean, Justin, I mean, how are you feeling so far? I mean, I, I just feel like you ragged on me on my concerns. So,
1: well, you were I mean, ragging on the head coach. So, like, right now, the names that are being mentioned for the staff. With a seven billion dollar the With a seven billion dollar salary
2: pool, it is very underwhelming. And what again, how can you say that? I mean, how <laughs> dare you say anything not 100% a hundred percent positive? I'm I mean I like and, I like Ed Foley.
1: I, I love the Ed Foley. But uh Marcus Satterfield, you know, so look, I, I didn't follow uh South Carolina, at all, even though we got two cousins that do, and you know, they're big cocks, you know, <laughs> they love those cocks out there, but uh, and
3: they seem pretty unfazed that we were taking that offensive coordinator away from them.
1: Uh, they, they wanted to see him come back for another year to see what he could do, but they didn't love him or they didn't hate him, so that was
2: that was kind of interesting. The, the, com- the comments were very much about there, there were signs in the stands and that wanted him gone. until the last two weeks of the season, and it was like, huh. Let's see this again.
3: And and you go back to the press conference a little bit. It's just a little contradictory to what he was saying about wanting to be a physical team that ran the ball well. And then you look statistically at what Matt Satter's, or Marcus Satterfield, whatever his name is, Satterfield. Satterfield, yeah. Satterfield. You look at his stats, and they don't run the ball well. They just don't run the ball well. And, and so, so you sit here and you talk about wanting to run the ball well, and then you go hire an offensive coordinator who's not running the ball can well. Can I so defend there's, so there, that, though? Very, but I'm just saying, Tyler, you want
2: to talk about concerns? This is a huge concern for me. I, I, but let me defend that a little bit, though, is that I, I don't know what Beamer wants to do in South Carolina, but it's very common. We saw this with Whipple. Like when Frost left, Whipple went full Whipple. And we don't know with Rule as an influence on Satterfield what that offense will look like. Two, I mean, let's be real. No, no, but I could go back and look at Temple's
3: stats and see that his stats weren't any better at Temple than they were at South
2: Carolina. Okay, that's fine. But the the second thing is that, I mean, when you looked at what South Carolina had this year, I don't know if they had the ability to run the football. Like, I mean, and again, maybe... Obviously, the offensive coordinator definitely eats some of that. I just... I I don't know if I, I I I don't know if I'm as concerned on him. I'm, I'm I honestly am not concerned about rule. I think that's a good hire. I think his offensive coordinator is a good hire. I, I don't know if either of them have me doing backflips thinking that just wait give count the weeks till our next national championship. I don't think I'm there with either of them. But I but the position coaches I would like I, that's really where the concern probably starts to come in a little bit. Is Satterfield, I can be behind. I, again, my one of my concerns with rule is no Big Ten experience. He is doing nothing to appease that fear and that concern with his early hires. Even as even if they're analysts, even if they're analysts, he's not doing anything to to break that down.
1: So, so for me, Matt Rule, he's a he's an A hire. I mean, I had a list of guys that would be considered to me as a grade A hire. He's a grade A hire. So Satterfield, I mean, uh. Not an A hire to me. I mean, I didn't know a lot about a uh, lot about him, but you know, over the last two weeks, like Derek was alluding to, big old wins over Tennessee and uh, Clemson, and the way that I mean, pulling and that you stuff kinda, off, you
3: kind of like, get holy crap. You, but you kind of get lost the pageantry of it. Sure. Like, ho, holy cow, this guy's doing so great. Look at what he's done the last couple of weeks. But when you're looking at the season as a whole, it's it, it is a little underwhelming. But
1: well, you know, but I mean. She, I didn't deep, I didn't deep dive into the numbers like you do because you, you love the stats and you know I'm okay with them, but uh, you know he had eight games this year where he scored over thirty points.
3: That, that's fair, that, but he also only scored, I believe, ten points against Missouri, who's like ninetieth in the country and points allowed this year. Uh, he also only got I think I think uh, Florida was even worse, and they only had scored six points against them.
1: Seven points, like, but it uh, wasn't even an offensive touchdown. I think it's special teams. I believe.
3: I, I thought it was only six. I could Whatever, whatever, on. Whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever. We're talking about an extra point difference here, hey, Georgia. I'll give you a pass. Like you scored seven points against Georgia. Nobody scores on Georgia. Whatever, that's fine. But the the other two that he didn't score well on, I was because I was kind of hoping to go in and prove that. Well, these were really good defenses that he didn't score on, but. It really, really wasn't good defenses. And you struggled in a couple of games that you probably shouldn't have.
1: Yeah. Uh, well, there's going to be more to come on these hires because we, a lot of these guys, we don't know where they're going to fit into the puzzle right now. Uh, so hopefully next week when we have a next podcast, we can dig deeper into these guys. But uh, one of the things that is uh, being really brought up is the status of Mickey Joseph. He's a fan favorite. We all love him. Uh, If you listen to any of the Husker talk shows, Nikki Joseph is a name that people will call in and they are pissed that he didn't get the job. Uh, Do you hear the rumors that he's asking for a a high salary to come back? Uh, So as you look at this, uh, and it may be, be silly right now, but is it worth keeping Mickey Joseph if he wants $1 million or plus a year if you have to sacrifice like experience in other positions? Uh, I, I don't know. $7 million it seems like you can make it worth it. But if you're sacrificing, I don't know. Tyler, do you have a, an opinion on that?
2: Well, I mean, so, yeah, I have a lot of opinions on this. I, I, I laid out a scenario for you guys where we could realistically have especially with some of the pieces that we've started to put together four million dollar coaches on this staff. and again, who knows how it all would play out and if it would or not but the, the, the money is there. so so to answer your question, I, I do not worry about having to go into seven figures to keep Mickey Joseph in sacrificing the future. Dare I say that I think he is so important that I would be okay if he was our highest paid assistant. Now, there's obviously a cap to that. You can't back up a $2 million payday for him. You can't do these things and still have a staff. But I think Mickey Joseph is that important. And and let me just list a few reasons why. One, recruiting. So far to date, we have not heard the names on the recruiting trail from this, this new staff that are really getting you excited. So I think Mickey Joseph is a linchpin in what we could do, not only to keep this class together, this roster together, um, but, but also future recruiting. And I would say probably the second big thing with Mickey Joseph is, like, I don't want to see, I don't think Matt Rule wants to see a 1-11 season. I think one of the best things he's going to do, and he alluded to this in the press conference, is early evaluation. And I think Mickey Joseph is going to have the best eyes and ears about what needs to happen with this roster and what where the real gaps are. So I, I think for those two reasons, amongst many other like having Matt... Mickey Joseph is—I don't want to say a necessity, but it is. It would be a huge feather in the cap of Matt Rule if he could hold them on.
1: Derek, what about you?
3: Uh, my my emotions have changed drastically on 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 this. Uh, originally, I was like, you know, I, I was I'm with you, Justin. Like, you you don't pay this guy so much that you're you're having to under undersell other positions. Like I I don't want to go another Donovan Rayola because I wanted to keep Mickey Joseph. I I don't want that situation. Uh, But what I'm seeing right now with the hires, uh, they're they're underwhelming. So I I think it would be huge to to keep Mickey. And I do agree with Tyler that if you're going to try and keep uh, this recruiting class and even, even the roster right now together, your best option is to keep Mickey and and possibly even Bill Bush on, on, on this staff to, to, to keep it together. But I, there's gotta be a limit. Like I, I I disagree that he should be your highest paid assistant. Like you can't pay him more than your coordinators. I, I, I don't, I don't agree with that. I don't think that's, if I'm a coordinator, I don't want to come. Play. I don't want to come coach for you so, if you're so Derek, giving well, my
2: wide receivers
3: coach more than me.
2: Well, so th- there's there's ways around that. You name assistant head coaches, all that stuff. But Derek, let me ask you this. I mean, Satterfield or Mickey Joseph? Like, if you have to, I mean, your your Matt Rule, who? I mean, you're Trev Alberts, whoever name you need to be. Who do you think is worth more to Nebraska in the 2023 season?
1: It depends what the alternative to the what the OC is going to be.
2: I mean, uh, no, but, 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 I mean that. I mean that's. Are I, you gonna, I, I ask as I said Satterfield versus Mickey Satterfield and Joseph. You have to pay one more than the other. It's. It, I mean, pro, pro,
3: probably Satterfield. Like his responsibilities are more. Okay. He's running the whole damn offense. Like his responsibilities are higher. Okay. So, so he's probably worth more money. Now, again, I whatever. I'm not going to get back into that. Look, I I just don't think it makes sense to break your bank to keep one coach on
2: your staff. I'm not saying to break your bank, but the the bank's there. You you already have the bank. You have the credit line. You got to spend that. You can't bank that money for the future. This isn't like this is the money you've got to find a way to spend. Absolutely, you're you, you are absolutely right,
3: and. If you're asking me if I'm paying Ed Foley, uh, half a million or (laughs) (laughs) like okay, like maybe I'm saving a lot of money on Ed Foley. Like okay, fine. And if that if that's leaving me an open spot for Mickey Joseph, okay. But then you get into your uh, Knighton, Terrence Knighton. Again, this, guy, this guy's completely inexperienced. He I, I don't know what his position's going to be right now, so we won't get too in-depth of that. But it, his his experience is two years at Wagner as a defensive line coach and an assistant defensive line coach in Carolina. So, again, am I saving money there? Do I want to save money there? Because I'm talking about building these trenches up. I don't know if that's a spot that you want to save too much money on.
1: Well we'll see where those guys li- line up. I mean, they've been that, hired. That's, on fair. Staff. that's why they've been hired stuff. We don't y- know. You're right. It,
3: maybe 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 he's an analyst. I don't I don't know. But if that is my defensive line coach, then I'm a little skeptical. I'm a little scared.
1: Uh all right. I, w- Guys, we're going a little bit long, and we do have to talk about a win. We don't get to talk about a lot of wins these days, but we need to talk about uh, Iowa.
3: That's going to change. That's going to change. change. It's going to change,
1: but uh, maybe we can uh, get a streak building up starting now. Uh, we're, We're ending the season on a good win against Iowa. We broke the streak. Mickey Joseph. He walks out as a interim head coach of Nebraska with a win over Iowa a team that we haven't beaten in a long time. We won 24 17. It was a game that we dominated completely in the first half and Iowa made it a little bit more interesting in the second half. Uh, so Mickey Joseph, he finished his interim head coaching career at Nebraska at three and six, uh, finished four and eight on the year. Uh, Derek, what what did you think about this win?
3: Uh, this was a phenomenal win. I mean, I, I hope the guy that Nebraska never has to play spoiler again, but it was fun to be the spoiler for once. You know, I, Iowa was heading to the Big Ten Championship. They were on their way. And all they had to do was beat lowly three-win team Nebraska. And they couldn't get her done. Uh, it, it was a, it was a, it was a strange game. Uh, Iowa looked very undisciplined, a lot of penalties, a lot of turnovers, uh, th- things you just don't expect to see from an Iowa team. Uh, man, I tell you what, we scored 17 points off turnovers, which was phenomenal. Uh, Justin, you talked about dominating, but it wasn't just one side of the ball; it was every facet of the game. Yeah. I mean, it, the defense looked spectacular. Hell, defense only gave up, I think, two hundred and seventy-four yards total offense, and I, it was it was an impressive victory. Uh, offensively, we had we had some big plays that amounted to a lot of enough yards. Uh, we, we struggled at times. We really struggled to run the ball on them, uh, but. Ramir Johnson looked good running the ball, and I don't know why he didn't get more carries. I mean, he had 52. Here's how bad it is. He had 52 yards rushing in this game. The team as a whole only had 51. Now, there's some sacks in there that hurt. I mean, I think Anthony Grant had enough to counter the sacks about, but that's about it. Uh, Gabe Irvin had a few okay runs. But there was nothing special about our running game in this game. Uh, but over but outside of the running game, everything else was dominant. We looked phenomenal in this game. I this was the best game we've seen in
1: a
0: while. Yeah,
1: it was. It was a great effort. Love the effort from everybody. I mean, God dang, it was. Tyler, what were your thoughts?
2: I mean, it, it, it really was. I mean, this was a game I had... Fr- you know, the the one thing the storyline of this game that, like, there was a point in this game, you know, I don't remember this, was it 24 nothing? Yeah. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, Iowa started coming back. And I just sat there, and I'm like... Oh, God. I, I saw this Did movie. You? I was like, I sat there with my friends that were in my house, and I was like, it's going to happen. Holy shit, we're going to do it one more time and blow a lead. <laughs> and... But
3: but you know the announcers talk so much about about the biggest comebacks from Iowa. Oh yeah. You know their biggest comeback of the year was three points, but they had never come back from more than twenty one points down. And you're just sitting there thinking, God damn it, Nebraska's going to be that yep. team. Yeah. Now let's Iowa yes. Iowa be. We're, they're going to break their own record on the biggest comeback. Yeah. I mean, there was a point, and, and it was so and it was so stupid because we had three turnovers. They 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 had had three turnovers and we and we scored on every one of them. Yeah. We scored two touchdowns and a field goal on, on those three turnovers. We ended up with they ended up with four, which whatever. But on those first three, we scored. We capitalized on. Them. We did everything we needed to do, and all it took was our one turnover. And you just that looked like it was going to completely turn the game.
2: Yeah, and it felt it it and. But we did it, and, and we ponied up, and, and and we, I mean, we had, gosh, dropped interception opportunities to end the game. I mean, there, there's just it, it was just playing out like the 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 same old shit. And I'm just I'm Matt Rule at this point in the game. I mean, we already kind of knew he was going to be the next head coach. I'm wait, I'm praying for Matt Rule to get here so I don't have to ever see <laughs> this shit again. Like I was just done with it. And you know what? We ponied up, and, and a lot of credit goes to a lot of players in this game. But I made a comment with Jeffrey the Greek here. If, if we were going to win, Casey Thompson was going to have to put on the cape. And I don't know if this is Casey Thompson's last game as a Husker. I, I really kind of hope not. Um, I While he didn't wow all season, I mean, he definitely grew with me in his grit. But this was his best game as a Husker. I mean, he... he Trey put, Palmer he,
1: stepped up, too, after a little bit of a hiatus. Yeah.
2: Tra- I mean, yeah. The, the Stars came out in whatever capacity Richard. and they, they showed up and I mean it <clears throat> I I have a friend who thought like that got really pissed at this question line of questioning, but I was like, man, what if Casey Thompson didn't get hurt? Where, where would this season have gone? Would it have looked any different? Could this have been us playing for a bull bit at this point? We could we could play we could play this game. all I know day I long. know and, I, and it's, a, like, it's, what, it's what if you don't what
3: if you don't blow a four to eleven point lead to Wisconsin in the last
2: ten yeah, minutes? Yeah, I mean I,
3: I, I get what, it. What, what if what if just what if you don't be Northwestern's only win? Yeah, I mean, no, I, I get it. I, I it, it's a it's a
2: it's like a Scott stupid Frost's game. We started, we could yeah. play the what if. But but it just well, we can play the what if game all day. But while. the way that, that Casey Thompson played was definitely like it was. It is what you wanted when he came to Nebraska. It made you like remember the the unfortunately the bad Chubba Purdy moments, and you're like, wow, what does this offense look like with a healthy Casey Thompson and him playing? And so yeah, I mean the offensive line played well. The defensive oh, they line, did. I mean, they really did. my. my if if our defensive line played like this the whole game, pass rush played like this the whole game, my forty sacks may have happened. Like this was this was so much of the team <laughs> not, that I thought not, we would have seen. To, to to be fair, to be fair,
3: Bill Bush was dialing up some phenomenal blitzes, <sighs> a lot a lot of zero blitzes that Iowa was not picking up on. And I don't know how they weren't picking up on those zero blitzes because I I've seen them coming. Caleb Tanner sacked. Uh, Padilla one time and I was like, he's going in scot-free because that tackle's not even looking
2: I mean, this direction. I mean, Oshaw Mathis played a great game. He was in the backfield all day. I mean, it's just, it was so much of what I expected of this 2022 season to look like. Um, again, you already mentioned Ramir Johnson's side. It, it just, it literally was the 2022 season I expected four months ago. I wish ago. you, you would have seen this. It was also a little frustrating.
3: Yeah. And, that, and that's, where, that's where the frustrating part comes in. Because I... I I love Bill Bush, and I think he did a really good job with his defense, but this was the best game he called. Like He dialed up a lot of really good blitzes, and he, he peppered them in just at the right times. How, how much and was that? He, of, he, he, called, he called a phenomenal game in this game. How, how much was that? And I'd like to have seen a little bit more aggressiveness out of him in previous games. Derek, Derek. And then you'd love to have seen Ramir Johnson playing all season
2: long. Can I ask you a question on Bill Bush? How much of this was him dying up those blitzes because a it was the last game he had nothing to lose but b what i think is more likely absolutely no fear of what iowa's offense was going to do
3: both i think i think that's what a lot of it was. I, I i lean more towards they had no fear of what their quarterback was going to yeah, do I, I don't think he worried about
2: getting beat 101
3: hey. but i think he could have done the same thing with graham mertz and i think he could have done the same thing with uh tanner morgan i the Minnesota game is another game that's like such a big what if. What if you don't blow that 10 point lead in the second half? Like, well, we didn't
2: blow this one. Off we didn't blow this one.
1: Can I ask we you guys a question did. here? So, we're talking about Bill Bush, who did a phenomenal job at DC this year. We're talking about Mickey Joseph, who, I mean, he, he got those guys to play every single game, including the last one for an upset, right? What is more likely, Mickey Joseph gets a head coaching job next stop, or Bill Bush gets a defensive coordinator job next stop?
3: Mickey. Joseph. Oh, Mickey Joseph all day.
1: Mickey Joseph.
3: I, I don't think Bill Bush wants to go anywhere else. I don't. I don't know that Bill Bush wants to be a defensive coordinator.
2: Tyler? Maybe I'm wrong. I, I, don't, I, know. I don't know. Bill I think Bush Mickey Joseph. Has, I mean, for, if if for nothing else, I think it's just from desires. Um, I will say this though: if if it doesn't appear this is going to happen, but if Matt Rule announced Bill Bush as our defensive coordinator, like I I would I wouldn't cry over that. I I would I mean, I mean that might I would be I would be happy with that. I mean I I, I, wa- it, it,
3: I but, it it would be on par with his offensive coordinator hire. <laughs>
2: I mean, I, I would just say, I think that the... the Are
1: saying he's going to be pocketing the difference here? I, I don't know.
2: I just think that right now that both Bill Bush and Mickey Joseph base. I mean, I don't want to say solely on the Iowa game, but the, the exclamation mark they left at the end of the season just really wants you to keep those two on staff. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, I, I agree with that wholeheartedly. I, it,
3: recruiting alone, those two guys are worth keeping on on, on it, it. There's, there's, there's no comparison. Like there's no other guy on this staff right now that I would want to keep for recruiting. And right now there's nothing that Matt rules hires for recruiting purposes that I would take over either one of these guys.
2: Yeah.
1: All right, let's uh, move on here. Uh, we're going along. We got to get to the games of the week. Uh, to recap from last week, uh, Tyler, you went one and five. Derek, you went two and four, and I went four and two. So now the new standings are: Derek, you are number one at fifty and twenty-five, and Tyler, me, and you are now tied. We're five games back at forty-five and thirty-three, tied for first loser. And uh, I think I screwed up that math there, but you, <laughs> Derek, you, you are five games ahead of us. You must be like uh, fifty and twenty-seven actually. But or yeah, fifty and twenty-seven. Anywho, uh, it is championship weekend, and uh, we're gonna do all Power Five conference ch- championship games plus the AAC because it's really the group is it's really you know the Power Six, right? Cincinnati got in last year, so it changed the narrative a little bit. Well, yeah, it's it's two ranked teams fighting each other. Yeah, sure. So uh, let's kick this baby off if I can find my pen, which I probably knocked on the floor with my notebook at the beginning of the episode. Don't you keep more than one pen in there? I found one. All right, Uh, first game, number 14. Well, you know what? I'm not going to give rankings because... The playoff committee, they are going to announce the rankings tomorrow. All these rankings are going to change. Uh, so let's go. Utah versus USC. USC is three-point favorites. Derek.
3: All right. So I got two reasons why I'm picking this game. One of them is pure hope. I want to keep some of these teams out of the playoffs. So I want USC to win. So maybe they have a shot at getting the playoff. Uh the other reason is I think it's very hard to beat a team twice in one year. And Utah managed to come out with a win at home against USC. So I, on a neutral field, I think it's a little tougher to beat USC. Uh, USC's kind of rolling right now, so I'll, I'll go definitely USC.
2: Tyler? Well, I was hoping you were going to go Utah, but I'm going to go USC also. I think Caleb Williams is cooking. You already mentioned twice in one season. Um, yeah, I'm going to go USC in this game.
1: Yeah, I have USC also. USC, they're trending up. Uh, I think they are a uh, playoff team, so they'll get it done. Uh, Moving to the Big 12, Kansas State versus TCU. TCU's two-and-a-half-point favorites, Derek. Uh,
3: Again, I'm going a little more with my heart here than what I probably should. Uh, I want to see TCU win. I want them in the playoff, just more so to keep some of these other teams out.
2: Uh, So I'm going to go TCU. Connor. Yeah, I, I'm going to go with Kansas State. The last three weeks, Kansas State has been rolling. I mean, they beat Baylor 31-3, uh, West Virginia 31 uh, 48-31, and Kansas 47-27. Um, I've kind of been picking against TCU, and that's probably the reason why I'm in last place. Um, but with the exception of last week against Iowa State, TCU has just been barely getting by these teams. I think their luck runs out um, against... K State and K State beats them again twice one season too. So,
1: yeah, uh, I I'm going with TCU here. Uh, I I really like Kansas State, but for some reason TCU, they're like the cat with nine lives, man. They they find ways to win down the stretch. I mean, it looks bad for them most games, but somehow in that second half and that fourth quarter. They come back, they'll find a way to win, and I think they do that this way to uh, seal their deal to the playoff. Uh, LSU versus Georgia in the SEC. Georgia is 17.5-point favorites. Derek? Uh,
3: Georgia. Look, if Georgia doesn't win this year, it's going to be because they're trying to get two SEC teams in the playoff again. Just like they did last year, I, I I still think they took a dive last year to keep Alabama in the playoff.
1: <laughs> that is some that is some brotherly love right there.
3: I, I I don't know. I Georgia's the only great SEC team at this point. LSU LSU I lost all respect for LSU after that loss to Texas A M last week. Georgia all the way,
2: Tyler. Yeah, I'm going Georgia. Um, I you know I don't know if I'll put money on this game, but if I did, I'd probably go with that LSU. With the that's a that's a lot of points. Um, LSU. Watch I LSU mean,
1: last weekend.
2: Well, I think LSU is looking ahead to this game uh, a little bit much because there's no excuse losing to Jimbo Fisher at this juncture. But uh, I mean, right now, I think that we're looking at a uh, a rematch of last year's semifinal with Georgia, Michigan in the playoffs, and. Yeah, I, I I'm all for that.
1: Give me Georgia here, easy win. Uh, moving to the AAC with UCF versus uh, Tulane. Uh, Tulane is three point favorites. Also losing their coach to Georgia Tech, Derek. Uh
3: I, I went with Tulane. I, I no rhyme or reason behind it. I just went with Tulane.
2: Tulane, all right, Tyler. I'm going to go UCF uh, for the very reason that Tulane is losing their coach. Um, I, I do worry a little bit about the psyche of that team. Um, so I'm going to go UCF. Yeah, I, I have UCF
1: also. Uh, I'm not going to lie. The the fact that they're losing their coach, Willie Fritz, I mean, that is a significant blow to them. So, But you know what? Sometimes this uh, sparks teams, but... Rolling with they, UCF they want to send there. them out on a win. They want to send them out on a win. True that. Give me UCF. Uh, Big 10 title game, Purdue. Since Nebraska played, spoiler to Iowa, ruined their fucking season, Purdue sneaks into the uh, Big 10 championship game to face uh, Michigan. Michigan's 16 and a half point favorites. Derek.
3: Mi- Michigan. I... I was worried about Michigan last week, and that was one of my big losses. I mean, and it was all all based on Blake Corum. But Michigan, if they proved anything, is they can play without Blake Corum. Yeah. So
2: Michigan, all I don't think this is a close game. Yeah, Yeah, again, I don't know if I'm with you on the blowout. Um, J.J. McCarthy played a really good game against Ohio State last weekend. He's been a little bit up-down. So maybe you see the downside of him this week. It, it, it frankly doesn't matter. Michigan's going to win this game, but I just again another game I'm kind hey, of for, keeping an eye on. For
3: what? Night. For what it's worth, didn't Nebraska stay closer to Michigan than Ohio State did?
1: Yes, we did. Yeah. Well, hmm. we, we held them to less points.
2: <laughs> oh, okay. Okay. Well, I'll tell less you less what. Points. Whatever. That, that that Ohio State game. I. I'll tell you what. You know what? Michigan doesn't want is they don't want Ohio State to sneak into the playoff and beat Georgia and have to play them again. Because I, I, that game was closer than the score looked. I mean, that was a game in that third quarter, and all of what? a sudden... Oh, I mean, it, there was a... It, it, it was, but... It was. Michigan was clearly
3: the, more, the better team.
2: They were more physical, I mean. but, I mean... But they got to a point that Ohio—they just started hitting haymaker after haymaker on yeah. Ohio State. I mean, well, they they did that from
1: the beginning. All their scores, they were hitting them deep. I mean, I think I think if they were to play it again, Michigan would bitch slap Ohio State in the face again, really? just like this game.
2: Yeah, it's hard to be the same team twice. I think you know what Michigan. There's that looked, lasting I, I, image of the M flag in the middle of Ohio State. It looked I, like the better team. Like
3: I, I will I will say this: if there's a. <laughs> This goes against all that I stand for, especially bitching what sec does, but if there's ever going to be a big 10 national championship game, I hope this is it right here. Yeah. Ohio state, Michigan in the national championship. I'm I'm for it.
1: Well, not you, normally, Ohio but this state, year they I do am. not look like they do not look like a team that could advance in the playoff.
2: You're right. I, 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 I don't agree. think they're beating Georgia, but I, I, I think that, um, yeah. I don't think
1: they'd beat Michigan again. Uh, so give me Michigan. Yeah, I'm all I'm all on Michigan here. Uh, going to the ACC, we have Clemson versus North Carolina. Clemson's actually seven and a half point favorites after getting their ass kicked by the Cox. They took it to the ass by the Cox last week, so...
3: Derek? Well, thank our new offensive coordinator for that, I guess. Uh... I, I don't know. I, I got to go Clemson here. i would still not buying North Carolina.
2: Tanner? Well, North Carolina themselves just came off a loss to NC State. Um, so, I mean, they're not exactly trending on the upward trajectory. Yeah, I mean, the the, the Gamecocks probably saved us from Clemson making the playoffs. Um, I mean, that, that Clemson would have probably been that situation right now of they would be the fifth team, but now they're not. And thank you, uh, South Carolina, for that because that would have been an ugly playoff game. No one won, wanted to see George versus South, uh, Clemson. But yeah, no, I, I, I'm going to go Clemson in this game. Just I, I I don't understand the ACC. That's that's a bad,
1: terrible conference. It's a piss poor conference. It's better than Big is it 12, the new, but It's still not. Is a it the new?
2: Is it the new? Is it the new Pac-12? Oh, no, Big Twelve is worse than. I mean. No, it's not. not Big 12 is good football. Let's not forget that Florida State beat LSU. Syracuse beat Purdue. I mean, the ACC is a much deeper conference than the shitty Big 12.
1: I don't know if I agree. Who's the
2: fourth best team in the Big 12? There's only 10 teams to pick from. I mean... I mean, they're, they're, it's basically, it's it's a conference of Texas, Kansas State. I mean, is it Kansas? Is it Oklahoma? What sixth win team are you going to go with there? I think, I still think Baylor is a good, t- I think
1: Baylor is still a good team in the Big, Big 12. But uh, anyway, let's get to playoff. So next week, by the time that we record next week, the playoff committee is going to name their four teams. Real quick. If you were to predict your four uh, playoff teams, who are they, Derek?
3: Well, judging off the way I got my championship games going, I'm going with Georgia, Michigan, USC, and TCU.
1: So USC's three, TCU four.
3: Uh, way. I think you said it the other way. E- either way, I mean,
1: no, I mean it matters. It matters with uh, who they play.
3: I'll say TCU would be number three and USC would be number four.
1: Okay.
0: I
3: I don't think USC will jump TCU. I, I will say this though. I do think Michigan should jump Georgia, though they won't.
1: Ooh, interesting.
3: Oh, dude, are you kidding me? They just beat the number two team by 20 points.
2: Yeah. I mean, the, the, the what, well, I'll, I'll, I'll get my, I would say I would have Georgia one. I mean, the, Michigan's non-conference was a joke. I mean, Georgia absolutely took it to Oregon early in the year. You're right that the Michigan easily has a singular best game, but the Big Ten's been down this year. I mean, Penn State was good and they took it to Penn State too. But there's, I I just think I believe they won. I believe they won by almost three touchdowns to Penn yeah, State. Yeah, no, they did. I mean, Who should be a top ten team? Yeah. Then I mean, Penn State will probably be eighth. I mean, yeah. I mean they they've got a couple really good wins, but I just think their non conference was so bad, and the Big Ten was not a good, not as good as it's been in the past. So I, I'm going to go Georgia, Michigan, USC three, and I think Ohio State gets in at four. I think that with the TCU loss, I think that that the committee isn't going to keep them in the playoff. Wow.
3: Okay, well, I'll I'll agree with you there. If TCU loses, they're out. Yeah. But same with USC.
1: So my playoff projections is number one Georgia playing number four USC, and then number two Michigan playing number three TCU. And Derek, this is why I think that's uh, it's a good thing that Georgia or Michigan does not j- jump Georgia because I think they would have an easier matchup playing TCU at number three than playing uh, number four U- USC.
0: I'll
2: tell you, I don't think, I, I will say. That might be fair. Max Dugan, may, he may not be Caleb Williams, but he, he is a hell of a quarterback. I, I will say great that. Great quarterback. Great quarterback. I mean, if if your two scenarios. Did did, did Nebraska recruit that guy?
3: Right. Yeah, let's,
2: let's not talk about that. Um, it, it, if it will be interesting if that scenario happens, because in both cases, the the underdogs will have the better quarterback. Caleb Williams is better than whoever the hell that walk on is from Georgia and uh Max Duggan is a better quarterback than JJ McCarthy.
1: Yeah. And Matt so. Rule says, "What do you need in the Big 10 to win?"
3: Yeah. better line. quarterback
1: usually wins. Yeah. I
3: don't know. I'll say this the the opposite could be said for defenses though cuz Michigan's damn sure got a better oh, defense I mean. and Georgia's got one of the best defenses in the country, I mean. so I mean, both teams do. Whatever.
1: because yeah, I'd take Ohio State's offense over TCU's offense, and Michigan shut that shit down.
3: Uh, Michigan, I, I'm impressed with Michigan this year. Right. I, I truly am, and I'm not trying to take anything away from Georgia. I, Georgia's a good team. I mean, they're a damn good team. They're fine.
1: For an SEC, Michigan, team.
3: Michigan
2: right now is just—they did that. that st- they they, did, they beat they're, Ohio State without Blake Cora. I, I think this. I think this. Is, I think this is they, this is a big. Blake
3: Corum, Blake Corum was a Heism, should be a fi- Heisman finalist, yeah. and if he's not, it's because he got hurt in that before the Ohio State game. So it it will be
2: interesting. So, I right.
1: uh, I think we're gonna get out of here. But I want to. Can I play a little bit of uh, Ed Foley going off at the podium to no. take us out of here? No. Wanna play, yes. I'm, yes. I want to play this to uh, get. If this, this this if this don't get you pumped up.
3: Check your pulse if this don't get you pumped up.
1: You don't think this is going to get you pumped up, Derek?
3: Yes, that's why I said check your pulse. Shit, I don't
1: know how to look like I my... know that we play well, but I know that we'll play hard. And
0: we're going to find out about Duke, and we're going to find out about Temple, and we're going to find out about which one of those football clubs wants to hit each other harder, or longer. That's what we're going to decide here in the 27th. Yeah! yeah.
1: And fully, ladies and gentlemen.
0: And while we're while we're getting ready to do that, I hope that you see the finest group of young men that's ever been through street court. I hope you have a chance to see them hold a door open for you or say thank you for being here or be truly appreciative because, guys, I love this team. And I love these players, and I know you will too when you get around Please get around our players. They are going to love you. They are going to love Street Report, and you're going to love them. And they are going to be so appreciative of being here. Guys, it's going to be one of the greatest teams that you've ever had here. I promise you that. So we're fired up to be here. Thank you to everybody for having us.
1: And special thanks to our producer, Connor Russell, for putting this audio together for us. Be sure to follow the Husker cast on Twitter at Husker Cuscast. Like us on Facebook. Look for episodes anywhere you get your podcast. Hit that subscribe button. And don't forget to rate and review on behalf of Derek and Tyler. We want to thank everybody for listening. And as always, go Big Red.